A window into the future of Taiwan, darkened by bullets and flames of war, Washington is okaying a new $440 million arms sale to the island. It's part of an even greater effort to boost its defenses, with over a billion dollars in deals greenlit this year. What's driving the urgency? And are the actions turning Taiwan into a dangerous powder keg, as Beijing claims? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A powder keg or a porcupine? The world's two biggest superpowers are exchanging spats over a heated issue. What should the future of Taiwan look like? And will fighter jets, warships and bullets decide the ultimate answer? On Thursday, the U.S. State Department okayed a new arms sales to the Democratic Island, worth $440 million. And that's just part of a weapons deal for the island, valued at over $1 billion this year alone. The latest package includes ammunition, plus spare parts for vehicles and weapons, among other things. The island's weapons buildup is part of Washington's so-called porcupine strategy. The goal, to raise the cost and expected losses to China should it decide to invade, similar to previous talks of including Taiwan under the U.S. nuclear umbrella. There's much to do there in a very short period of time uh, to strengthen Taiwan's ability to offer a conventional uh, deterrent to uh, China and to begin to operate under the American nuclear security umbrella as well. Back in the U.S., Congress has been calling for increased funding for Taiwan's defense. That's amid a rising sense of urgency. On Friday, 11 Chinese aircraft crossed the median line of the Taiwan Strait, the unofficial barrier between the two sides. They were among a total of 24 Chinese fighter jets and bombers spotted near the island, with an additional five Chinese battleships deployed nearby. So is an invasion imminent? And where does Washington stand? Taiwan's foreign minister says the island is preparing for a conflict with China in 2027. Our defense ministry is very determined in defending ourselves. And we will fight the war if we need to fight the war. In the U.S., Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin warned China against the possibility of war at a forum earlier this month. But make no mistake, conflict in the Taiwan Strait would be devastating. The Chinese regime claims Taiwan as its own territory, despite never having ruled the island. It has vowed to annex Taiwan by force if necessary. Dan Harris, a legal counsel for U.S. companies doing business in China, says the idea of war over Taiwan worries his clients more than anything else. I always say the most common question I'm asked is, what about the Taiwan risk? Is China going to invade Taiwan? And I think it almost scares them too much. But what would the U.S. actually do if China invaded? The answer remains unclear. On Wednesday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken was grilled about a remark he made earlier in Beijing. We do not support Taiwan independence. The comment seemingly disconnected with President Biden's view. Here's what he said when asked in a previous CBS interview broadcast. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. So why is it worthwhile for Americans to defend Taiwan? 
Experts say politically, the island helps keep peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific region. Economically, Taiwan is one of Washington's most important trading partners, largely because of its microchip-making sector. And culturally, Taiwanese citizens share a common goal with Americans, maintaining a free and fair democracy. A recent poll found 64 percent of American voters want the U.S. to recognize Taiwan's independence. China's passing of the measure has sent chills through Westerners living in China, from scholars to business leaders and journalists. What's unnerving a lot of people is that the new law expands the scope of what Beijing considers espionage, but without clearly defining terms. It bans people from transferring any information related to national security. That means accessing any documents, data or materials related to national security could be considered espionage. The law also hands Chinese authorities greater power. They can block suspects from leaving China. They can also search suspects' bags, electronic devices and property. The concern is, with the law being so vague, normal business activities and news gathering could now be considered criminal acts. Normal actions, such as collecting intelligence on local markets and business competitors, may no longer be safe. Reactions are pouring in. That includes from the heads of the two largest business groups in China, the European Chamber of Commerce and the American Chamber of Commerce. In an interview with Nikkei Asia, the head of the EU Commerce Chamber, asked what is it that we are supposed to comply with? What constitutes a state secret? What kind of information is it that we're not supposed to have? China recently raided the China-based offices of two American firms, Capvision and Mintz. Another U.S. consulting giant, Bain & Company, said Chinese police questioned staff at its Shanghai office. Western reporters in China are also looking at how the law would affect their work. A reporter told VOA that quite a few of them are worried about what it is and what it might mean. Beijing has detained dozens of foreigners on espionage charges. Examples include Michael Spaver, a Canadian consultant, Michael Kovrick, a former Canadian diplomat, and Australian TV news anchor Cheng Lei. Just this May, China sentenced a 78-year-old American citizen to life in prison. The charge is related to spying, but Chinese authorities did not give details. Unauthorized vapes are entering the United States. The number has nearly tripled since 2020, driven almost entirely from China. What's the latest status on America's drug war? And what role does China play? We hear from concerned parents for more. Every single device, unless it has been authorized by FDA, and only uh, a handful have been, and none of them flavored. So any flavored e-cigarette that you see in a vape shop or online or uh, at a gas station, that is, not a, that is not a regulated product. In the past three years, the number of electronic cigarette devices sold in the U.S. has nearly tripled, with the exact number sitting at over 9,000 and the majority of them are unauthorized disposable vapes from China. Those flavored products like Elf Bar that are flooding the market from China, they're illegal to sell in China. And that's because the Chinese government made it very clear they wanted to protect Chinese kids from nicotine addiction. So those brands like Elf Bar um, basically you know, exploited, have exploited our own regulatory loopholes and postponements and failures. Once a niche market, cheaper disposable made up 40% of the e-cigarette retail market last year. 
Most disposables mirror a few major brands, but there's a catch. Companies copy each other's designs, blurring the line between the real and counterfeit. Next, they send logos and flavor requests to Chinese manufacturers, who then promise to deliver tens of thousands of devices within weeks. Many of these products come in gummy bear and chocolate and butter rum flavors that we know to be highly appealing to non-smoking teenagers, and they have very high nicotine levels and therefore are potently addictive. Those products then circulate in the American market. And addiction is a wonderful business model because you buy their product over and over and over again throughout your somewhat shortened life. And they know very well the only way they get new customers is to go after the teenagers. Because if you don't get them when they're teens, you're not going to get them. Now, regulators must now somehow claw back thousands of illegal products sold by under-the-radar Chinese importers and distributors. Adding to the challenge, foreign manufacturers of the pre-filled devices don't have to register with the FDA, giving regulators little visibility into a sprawling industry centered in China's Shenzhen Manufacturing Center. Under pressure from politicians and parents, the FDA recently sent warning letters to more than 200 stores selling popular disposables. The agency also issued orders blocking imports from three brands, but dozens of others have been left untouched. Three trillion dollars in stock, with another three trillion hidden in China's pocket. According to Brad Setzer, a former U.S. Trade and Treasury official, China currently holds a total of six trillion dollars in its foreign exchange reserves. But half of those funds are not recorded in the official books of the central bank. Instead, this money is stored by state commercial lenders and policy banks. Setzer says that the regime's lack of transparency will eventually bring negative impacts to the rest of the world, given the size of its economy. These reserves played a major role in the Belt and Road Initiative. The ambitious infrastructure program is known to help spread Beijing's influence across the globe. Setzer says that the regime's efforts to diversify foreign exchange holdings helped develop the project. The official number of China's total reserves has remained static over the last few years, but the invisible amount has likely spiked along with China's export surplus. Tensions between China and the U.S. are soaring, raising fears of a real-life World War Z. China's military is responding with a major addition to its weapons testing, and the risk of armed conflict with the U.S. now reaching record levels. Chinese Navy scientists designated the doomsday scenario with the letter Z, introducing a total war model. Under it, all of the nation's resources are mobilized. Traditionally, China's weapons evaluations have focused on regional conflicts, like interventions around Taiwan or in the South China Sea. But this total war scenario takes things up a notch. Although the CCP hasn't formally named a target, researcher Fang Tanxing from China's People's Liberation Army referenced the U.S. Navy's Arleigh Burke-class destroyer, plus U.S. allies referred to as the Blue Alliance. This new dimension in China's military strategy underscores the heightened risk of conflict. That threat, now rated 7 out of 10 by officials. Helped along by Beijing's narrative, Chinese society views sanctions and U.S. military operations as deliberate roadblocks meant to hinder China's development. So while some have suggested the possibility of an all-out conflict, influential figures in Chinese society have called for a more calm approach to avoid catastrophic consequences. China's premier struck a bullish tone on the world's second-largest economy Tuesday, saying the country is still on track to reach its annual GDP growth target. 
But widespread concerns form a stark contrast. Can China's economy rebound from the nation's harsh pandemic lockdowns? An expert breaks it down. An almost 21 percent unemployment rate, dramatically declining exports and plunging consumption rates. Any of these problems alone could drag down a country's economy. But all three are hitting today's China. Despite that, the country's premier told investors and other leaders that the Chinese economy is doing well and finished the first quarter with a 4.5 percent growth, adding that the second quarter will see an even higher marker. We are on track to reach the annual economic growth target of around 5 percent, which was set at the beginning of the year. Frank Xie, an American professor who has studied Chinese economy for over two decades, shared his opinion on these remarks. I think the Chinese economy is going to, go, uh, is going to decline, decline tremendously, even go back 20 years. The leadership of Chinese Communist government, you know, of course, they, they, that's their, almost their second nature. They just lie and they try to deceive, to lure Western investment into China. That's what they have always been telling the world, that it's growing, it's great, you know, come invest, invest, and bring money in and bring technology. Three years of COVID-19-driven lockdowns heavily disrupted supply chains in China and drove many foreign companies away, spurring them to find cheaper and more stable manufacturing lines in Mexico, India, and Vietnam. It also directly impacted China's exports. In the post-pandemic era, Chinese people seem to be saving their money for a rainy day. Official data shows car, home and tourism sales have dropped, even compared to the same time last year, when sales surged after Beijing lifted lockdown orders. Both China's consumption and exports, two major contributors to GDP, have shown the weakness. Running country to the premier's statements. The prosperity or the, the wealth built over the last 20 years was a result of China's accession into WTO, World Trade Organization, with the U.S. and European opening their markets to the Chinese, the Chinese manufacturers. But that, as we said, just discussed, you know, that is over. A new descriptor, black hole, has been used to characterize investments thrown into China's current market. It reflects the dramatic drop in foreign interest in the country. Wall Street financial giants also trimmed their full-year China GDP growth forecasts. On the other hand, the Biden administration aims to bring on a thaw U.S.-China relations. The Biden administration is still spending uh, a lot of money, you know, spending like crazy, you know, and they want to borrow money. They want to issue uh, treasury bonds. They need China to keep buying those U.S. bonds. How will the globe's number two economy perform in the second quarter? We'll keep you updated. Coming up, is the Chinese regime capable of bringing down America's power grid? The secret lies in a special piece of equipment called a power transformer. With it, the flip of a switch sends electricity zooming into our homes and businesses. Without it, we remain in the dark. American Thought Leaders host Yanya Kellek sat down with Tommy Waller, president of the Center for Security Policy, about the hidden danger. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Is there a secret vulnerability in America's power grid that China could take advantage of? Could Beijing plunge us into darkness? American thought leaders host Yanni Akelik sat down with Tommy Waller, president of the Center for Security Policy, for details. If this device that we depend on for the lifeblood of our modern civilization was able to be manipulated, if it was able to be turned off, the U.S. electrical grid is critically dependent on extra high-voltage transformers made in China, says Tommy Waller, president of the Center for Security Policy. He is an expert on the U.S. grid and also stars in the documentary Grid Down, Power Up. And that's something that the communist Chinese, uh, that they understand about our society, our dependence on electricity. Why is industry allowing these vulnerabilities to exist? And what happens if the electric grid goes down? So 1977, there was a 24-hour blackout in New York City. There were more than 4,500 arrests of people who were looting, more than 550 police officers injured in the line of duty, and over $300 million worth of damage in that city in 24 hours. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellek. Tommy Waller, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Tommy, about three years ago, as we're filming in May of 2020, President Trump basically signed an executive order declaring an emergency around the national grid. And this happened after a transformer, one of these large high voltage transformers in the grid of Chinese manufacture was basically inspected you know, by authorities. From what I understand, the results of that inspection are classified, but this grid emergency ensued. Tell me what happened and, and how this whole realization that we've had since then has progressed. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it was May 1st, 2020, uh, an executive order that declared, as you said, a grid security emergency. And it was a recognition that our bulk power system has really uh, now become dependent on certain countries that are that are adversaries, that, that uh, really are hostile to the United States, including communist China. And so in this case, uh, as you mentioned, there's this transformer uh, was seized by the federal government uh, the year before, 2019. You can read about it in the Wall Street Journal. And that transformer was brought to Sandia National Laboratory where it was inspected. And so the result of it was that uh, here's a recognition that this really critical part of our grid, I mean, extra high voltage transformers, many experts consider to be the backbone of our modern grid, and I can explain why, but that if this device that we depend on for the lifeblood of our modern civilization uh, was able to be manipulated, if it was able to be turned off, uh, then that could be extremely problematic for us. And that's something that the communist Chinese, uh, that they understand about our society, our dependence on electricity. And so it, it's a, a very worrisome vector of attack that the Trump administration recognized, that they tried through executive order to address. And unfortunately, uh, on the first day of the current Biden administration, uh, that executive order was suspended. And so our nation's imported about another 100 transformers from China uh, in the ensuing period. We're now somewhere around 400 in the U.S. grid. And I just want to get you to tell me the scale of these things. Like even, so I watched this, the documentary Grid Down, Power Up recently, which you featured as an expert in, and they did they talk a little bit about, you know, how to actually like 
move these things around and, and get them installed, this is a bit of an issue in itself. And just trying to imagine what that would look like without power. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, so we talk about the grid, right? When we say the, the grid, we're talking about the whole system that generates electricity, transmits it, and distributes it, right? And so in order to transmit that electricity, normally it's over long distances. You know, you think about the power plants that produce our, our, our power, they're not right next to the population centers. And so these extra high voltage transformers are needed to step up the voltage and then to bring it back down, right? And it's that high voltage that allows it to travel those long distances. Well, these assets are absolutely critical. Think about if, you, if that transformer stopped working for any reason, then you're not moving that electricity from where it's produced to where it's needed, right? And so the assets themselves, the large ones, it, they take years. I mean, it used to be a lead time of about a year uh, most of these are made overseas, unfortunately. And now, I mean, even the, the current Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm, you know, mentioned that with the war in Ukraine, uh, with the electrification of so many things uh, in, in the world and in our country, that the lead time for these assets has gone from about a year to more like four years, right? And so to, to your to point- To build one, if you're gonna commission right, it. To build and to import it. And, and you know, there's only so many rail cars and so many uh, trailers uh, that, that can transport these things across the country. When, when you look at that Wall Street Journal article, Rebecca Smith authored about this particular Chinese transformer, you just look at the cover picture in, in the article and you see the size of the trailer to transport this thing. I mean, there's only, there's only so many of those assets, right? So we can't afford to lose these for really any reason, whether it's because they were manufactured uh, with malicious intent to manipulate them, uh, or if they're attacked in, in different forms of, of attack, which we can talk about, we can't afford to lose them. Let's start here. Um, how, what, what does a situation look like where power goes down uh, in, a, in a significant portion of the country? To watch the full episode, check out American Thought Leaders on Epoch.tv. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you soon.